What's up, everybody? Hey, this is the first installment of the Brandon Lloyd episodes. So we had Sergeant Lloyd on yesterday, and um, we're going to do a couple of multiple episodes with him. You know, we've got this one with his IED. You know, we're going to do, you know, him, uh, the op, you know, doing the checkup on Saddam. And we have a lot of things to follow. But before we get in, we, um, we were asked to kind of precursor this episode. So what's going to happen is I'm going to do a quick read-up on our guest. And then we're going to hear a song that was written about our guest. And then we'll roll into the episode. So, Sergeant First Class Brandon Lloyd served in uniform from 1998 until 2015. He operated as a scout sniper and as a special operations combat medic with the 101st Airborne Division and with units in the Special Operations Command. Lloyd spent over five years on combat deployments on battlefields across the world and was an instrumental part of Special Operations Task Force that conducted Operation Red Dawn and captured Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein. Lloyd also conducted the initial medical exam of the former Iraqi president. Throughout his career, Sergeant First Class Lloyd prepared hundreds of soldiers and then led them on the battlefield. He was a respected mentor and gave young men a desire to not only be better soldiers, but also to be better men. He lived by the Ranger Creed and set the standard for others to follow by leading with his example 100% of the time. Brandon spent every spare second training himself as well as others, and he never stopped seeking ways to improve all aspects of tactical combat medicine to increase soldier survivability. He continuously proved his strength and durability even after being severely wounded for the second time. After undergoing many spinal surgeries and various other surgeries and operation, he pushed himself to get back into the fight and lead soldiers. He completed many of the Army's toughest courses, including Special Operations Sniper Course, Ranger School, the Army Combatives Instructor Course, the Special, Opera- uh, Special Operations Combat Medic, and Mountain Medical Courses. And that's just to name a few. He also managed to complete two postgraduate degrees while on active duty. In 2005, Sergeant First Class Lloyd was specially selected to lead a sniper, counter-sniper team conducting security for President George W. Bush during his week of inauguration events. Sergeant First Class Lloyd has also been awarded the Alabama Legislature Medal of Honor. He was honored and presented the medal by Alabama Governor Kay Ivey for his actions after being severely wounded during an enemy ambush in Baghdad, Iraq. Sergeant First Class Brandon Lloyd is decorated with many awards for his service and his actions under fire, some of which include the Legion of Merit Medal, uh, Bronze Star, that's three, uh, one with V device for valor, Purple Heart times two Meritorious Service Medals, four ARCOMs, Army Commendation Medals, one with V device for valor. Uh, some of Sergeant First Class Lloyd's decorations include the Ranger Tab Combat Medical Brigade, I'm sorry, Combat Medical Badge, Expert Infantryman's Badge, and the Expert Field Medical Badge, the Pathfinder Badge, and Freefall Parachutist Badge, and the French Foreign Legion Jump Wings. Get ready, strap in, because this episode was awesome. And now please enjoy the song Can't Fill It by Eric Erdman, written about Sergeant First Class Brandon Lloyd. Like red, white, and blue On a day 
Sergeant First Class Lloyd's shirt sleeve hangs. His right arm never made it aboard that lonely homebound plane. His flight arrives in my heart filled with pride, but I know that can't fill the sleeve at his side. Network with us as always is my fantastic, amazing co-host. No, one of the toughest people I know, Sean. Hey, man, thank you for being here. Yo, what's up, guys? <laughs> there it is. Today we're here with Sergeant First Class Brandon Lloyd. That song we just heard—that's about you, man. That's crazy. The most beautiful man on the planet. Oh, the, the Eric song. Yeah, that's not that one. <laughs> I'm thinking about the other one. <laughs> I'm too sexy. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I I wake up. That's just playing in the background. That's my yeah. alarm. Did I go? I strut to the shower. Yeah, we like, was in court for a long time over rights for that. <laughs> <laughs> Still mad at him, but it, it is what it is. Sometimes you just gotta let let it be. 
Yeah, that that song that that Eric wrote. Uh, he's a special guy. I've I've known him. I guess acquaintances is probably a better way to put it for a long time since high school. That joker started playing music when he was a young teenager. Had his first concert was like on top of a Walmart, like the roof of a Walmart or something. Um, but he had a band called the Ugly Stick, and every, it was just one of those things. It, every, he played colleges when he was 16, 17. He just he was he's a great entertainer, musician, songwriter, everything. And um, then he went so he went off and did his solo thing. But he spent about two years writing that song. Never said a word to me about it. Um, I didn't, had no clue. Uh, he just used normal conversation with me. Um, so that, that'll tell you how much he paid attention to what was going on in, in my life. As a civilian, never been, you know, didn't have ties to the military. Never, he, of course, knows people, but he never served or anything like that. He just cared about me. Um, and he had been in some situations where, I was home for a weekend or whatever, and I got was moving furniture or something, and and he was really the only person I would trust to call to come help me, for mm. whatever reason, um, and he always did. And then when this that song come out, it was one of those. Hold on, did he just say my name? You feel it in your spine when you um, hear that song, dude. The, and the the thing is, it's it was my exact thoughts. The the way when I got to that point, that lowest point, I was excited, like. I was looking forward to being laid to rest. I, I mean, it, my, I couldn't stop my head from, from spinning. I mean, it was, it was driving me bananas. I didn't know how to, how to stop it. So that was the, the point I'd come to, to where I was, I was looking forward to it. I was no, no longer um, worried. I wasn't, I had no, didn't have fear. You know how it was on the battlefield. I mean, you had to accept the fact that death is death and it, you know, you're more than likely not going to make it home. Yeah, I, I was, that was, I was okay with that. I mean, I made peace with that. And then you, you do come home and it's like, oh no, we got to rewrite some stuff now because I didn't intend on being here. Um, and in my mind, just, just ending it all was the only way I was ever going to get that peace that I was looking for. Um, and of course that's irrational, completely irrational, but yeah. um, it just the, the way he saw it, he, he even made the song up, but he's got a, it's not a typical with what he's talking about with the, and then you got that upbeat music, everything in there was, it was done for a reason. He put the, the horns in there just because I love listening to that uh, New Orleans jazz and stuff. It, mm. the, him playing the guitar, it, it's just, it, he, he wanted me to be able to listen to the song and not get over sad or, or, you know, cry every time I heard it, he wanted me to enjoy it. And, you know, there's times where I can listen to it and listen to the words. And then there's times where I can listen to it and not and just enjoy mm -hmm. the music. And uh, my daughters are the same way. They are, they love some Eric Erdman. Um, and he'll get on Facebook and say, hey, to him, play something for him or whatever. But um, to have my daughter get in the vehicle and say, hey, daddy, play your song. <laughs> okay. Um, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I got, it's my allergies. I'll do it in a minute. Just. But they, they, I mean, they know every word to it. So it, that's a, that's a very special thing, and it's, it's still hard to. I mean, you'd be surprised. Most people you would think would share that stuff. All the like, look at that! Somebody wrote a song about me. Like, I just very, 
I don't know why. Now, I would share it with guys like you. I shared it with a couple times that I've checked myself into an inpatient program. I shared it with guys that I thought would get something out of it. Um, but I, I didn't go around posting on my Facebook because it was a little too personal and yeah. not in the message or the things it says about me, just because, um, I, I didn't, in my mind, I didn't want to wear it out. I just, you know, when people heard it, they I wanted it to be for the first time. Hmm. So, and, that, and that's how it's worked. It's helped a lot of veterans, a lot of veterans. And does that song, does that song now for you, as, as you've kind of come to the other end of this, is that, is that like from where you saw yourself then to where you are now, is, is it more of like a song of overcoming now? Like, is that, the, is that the feel you get when you hear it? Absolutely. I almost wish there was a, a, a part two um, because it, it kind of ends with, and, and anybody who, who wants to, you can go to Eric, Eric .com and, uh, or just Google can't feel it, Eric Erdman, and it'll bring up his website. And it's got the, the lyrics there because it is a deep song um he, he's so intelligent he's it's it's very deep but he ends it with uh basically how friends people around us need to keep their eyes open and pay attention to what we're going through whether they understand it or not they you know it so it would be cool to have a part two uh, to show the 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 after the overcome and, and what I've, what I've come to now in the place that I'm in in my life now, I never thought I would enjoy life again. I, I never expected to, yeah, me too. I never, never thought I would just, I mean, I didn't hear the thing is you hear for so long, especially with me, I have been through so much and almost been dead so many times, you know, eventually you're just like, come on, man, get it right or something. Or just don't do it. Don't don't put all this extra try. Just do it or, or don't do it. But I'd been through it so many times that you when you come home, you know, you know the whole well, God's got a plan. You know, you're something something bigger. And I understand that one hundred percent and completely. And I wanted to believe that. Um, that's something that uh, the religion and any kind of faith and anything is good at, at that giving you. Um, uh, something to look forward to in the future, but uh, I for it only worked for so long. Eventually, I was able to talk myself into you know why you're here. It's not for this, you know this whatever it is that great thing that's being planned for you because you're being punished. Um, and then I had so many ways to go back and ju and completely justify that thought. And, and that was, I remember for whatever reason, that being that defining moment that I started going downhill and not caring to slow down. Um, I just kind of rode the wave and until where it was going to take me. Cause I, I truly believed that I'm just being, I'm being punished. I'm, I'm here to live and be tortured with the memory of all the dudes that I, that, that I wasn't able to save or, or whatever the case may be. When did that hit you? What what year was that? Two thousand. All right, two thousand eleven is when I started. Have, is when I had my first spinal surgery, and that's when pretty much everything started. Because with my career, you you've read it. it, it yeah. I was nonstop mm -hmm. my entire career, and that was on purpose. I was always a, a a knowledge seeker. Who else goes to try to finish degrees while they that they Too know much. they're not going to use? Just, I was just a knowledge seeker my entire life. And that, 
when we go into my childhood, you don't understand that, but yeah. um, I don't, I, I'm trying to think, I've done and lost my train of thought now. What did you just ask me, Drew? Um, well, let's see, we were at, um, shit, you derailed me too. We were talking about your search for knowledge and like, well, yeah, like your use for, you know, um, you got the degrees. Yeah, you but you had, there was, I was going somewhere with that. You asked me, uh, <clears throat> uh, where I, okay. Um, we were talking about your, after your first spinal surgery. Yes, when I had my first Oh, when, spinal, yeah, when it yeah, hit you. I was you always, were... I was always 100 miles an hour. When I was wounded the first time, myself, and the one we'll talk about later, I was so, I was way more severely wounded than I ever knew. Um, I first was, time I or second time? The first time. Okay. I had I, 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 what, I, so much medical knowledge that I was dangerous to myself. Um, that on top of my personality. And the way I'd always done things anyway, as an athlete, um, I didn't do myself any favors. Um, looking back on it, had I known how bad I was hurt, I probably would have done the same thing. But I was really a lot more in, in a lot more uh, bad shape than I knew, but it didn't affect anything. I was just in a lot of pain. I figured, I mean, I could adapt to that better than anything. So I pushed through, went to Afghanistan, got hurt again. Well, I ended up in launch stool for a long time. And that's where they found all the shrapnel that was wedged into my spine. The, the MRI machine. Oh, how they found out. that dude. Oh yes, my sir. God. Oh, Lord have mercy. The only thing I can think of to compare it to is the Marine commercial where they put the sword in the fire and tink, tink, and they're bitten. It's red hot. Like I felt like he was sticking that sword into my neck and ripping it, trying to rip everything. That's literally how it felt. And I remember thinking, eventually you'll, you, your pain levels off. You'll get used to it. And, but every time I would get, think I was getting used to it, it would it just continue to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. What turns out I was passing out bleh, over and over and over and over again. I mean, I was just blacking out. I broke the MRI machine at, at uh, launch tool. It was rough, but, uh, so that's how they found the shrapnel. I was not pleased with them because in my mind, that was my own medical corps dudes that tried to, um, could have killed me. All these Taliban, Al Qaeda, every, everybody has tried really hard and never got it. They're going to do it while I'm in the hospital in an MRI machine. get you on the back end. <laughs> yeah. They're going to cut my jugular and everything else with a piece of shrapnel that's been in there for three years. Getting magnetically um, sucked out through an MRI yes. machine. And it is the weirdest uh, feeling. Uh, uh, it was bad. It was bad. Um, but so we found all that. We found it was that there was seven for, uh, burst fractured vertebrae. Um, but everything just went the way it to, it was no nerve damage, nerve problems, none of that. The, the spine's such a weird bone. It's made to protect, and that's it. It's not like your arm. You break your arm, it hurts. You can chip your spine and do all kinds of stuff. As long as it's not impinging nerves or nerve involvement and stuff, you, you'll, you can be okay. And I was lucky. I mean, I, I hurt, but I just told myself, look, man, you've been blown up enough. You, you played college football. You're going to be in a certain level of pain, so deal with it. You got, you got dudes to train. And that's what, that was the way I put it to myself to, to push mm -hmm. through. 
and uh, and I would. I mean, I would use duct tape, tape my boots up so my feet wouldn't swell. And we'd go and walk. Just things that are not the smartest ways to do things. But it worked in the moment. So that the first surgery I had, laying in bed, I'll never forget it. When I when I come home because I was medicated, I've. I'm not a uh, opioid guy at all by any stretch. I have not taken any kind of painkiller stronger than a Motrin, and I couldn't tell you how many years. Um, and that's not because I'm tough. That's because of family history. It's just too, it scares me enough to where it's not even worth it. Um, but I, I was laying in bed one night, and my first night home, I think, from the hospital, and I woke up and was like, what the fuck? What was that? Cause I have, I mean, my best friend on this planet, Kenny Jenkins died in front of me. And there was, there's plenty, there's a lot of reasons that I have that I, it would be understandable if I was damaged in a lot of ways, but I was not prepared for that nightmare that I had convinced myself that I was fortunate and it had missed me because of my training over the years, whatever the case was, I, I was, my childhood, the things that I faced growing up, a lot of that had prepared me for for what I would deal with on the on the battlefield. And I didn't think into it. Why would that? I just told myself that and and drove on because I was I was not having any problems. I was trying to help my dudes. My dudes were struggling. Um, but then when it hit me, I didn't know what to do. Like I I really didn't. I was so scared. The fear that I had that first night. And on top of being asleep, when you're helpless, there's nothing you can do. I'm medicated, you know, I'm stagnant for the first time in my entire life. And just a recipe for let's go get Lloyd. It's our, you know, it's our time to come out of the, the hidden parts of his subconscious and just attack. And that's kind of what it felt like. Um, and it took me a long time to get used to it. Um, but the nightmares I, I don't I, I could I got over them got used to them pretty quick but it's the laying on the couch and I and the whole sleep paralysis man I am not scared of much but that puts me that in a, on a whole nother plane of fear when you got somebody standing over you and you're wide awake you think you are but you know and it just just that kind of stuff I, I didn't know how to deal with it and i was married which oh lord that's a long story it was a person that i had known my whole life and i shouldn't i was in a marriage that was just not conducive to what i was going through um it it, it uh i'm not gonna say it would have been rough even if i wasn't going through all that stuff but the fact that i was it it pulled a lot of the attention I should have been given to myself um, in in those times. It pulled it away, and and a lot of it was probably on purpose too. I allowed myself to focus on other things so I didn't have to deal with what I was doing, what I had going on on the inside. I mean, that's what we that's what we're good at. We're good at di distracting our brains, justifying. Yep, justifying new patterns to avoid others so you don't have to deal with them. Yep. Now, is that why, because I mean, we were talking before we got on here about, you know, you, you, you paint for therapy. Is, is this, is that when you started getting into painting for I paint, therapy? I paint, because I'm, I paint because I'm a world-renowned artist. <laughs> <laughs> we can see that, man. Yeah. yeah give like, me a yeah. break. Brushing it, man, man, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I've broke a lot of paintbrushes, a lot of, I've broke a lot. 
<laughs> and I had to learn that there's a line on with everything. I don't care how much help I'm getting. There's a point that I'll get to where it turns into my worst enemy. And I, my, I mean, instantly I'm looking around, I'm like, dude, you just bought all this stuff. Now it's literally, uh, there's, you got you have to clean the paint off the floor, Brandon. What are you doing? Like I would get frustrated. So I had to learn the line. And, and once I did, uh, learned when to stop. Okay. I'm getting frustrated. I learned when to stop. I, it's unbelievable. What I actually ended up doing was like those sketches I showed you very quick. That, that's something that I don't know really where it even come from. It's something that I would just take in the, whatever image it was. And I had to be in the mood. It was some, not something I could go around. Look, I'm going to sit down and try to draw some and do some sketching today. It just not like that. My, my brain, that's, that's almost too much of a, uh, routine. My brain ain't playing that game. My brain's like, hey, I'm driving across the bayway. Hey, <laughs> I, I got to depend on this? Dummy. No fucking hey, way. <laughs> we got a sketch up here, dummy. You need to get somewhere and get a pencil. That, that's how it is. And I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> crap. So, I mean, I did those things in, in under five minutes and uh, it's it's crazy. I haven't done one since. I did them for a month or two and have not, not went back to that. The painting, um, it's a little bit more difficult because I put more time into that. Uh, a lot of it I do in my, it's something very cool for to do with my daughters. They are, my daughters are, are very talented. So uh, that, that's, that's where that come from really. But being, I was in a shepherd center, which is the number one brain and spinal injury hospital in the world. And the, the CEO of Home Depot started a program called the Share Military Initiative. And it's for people that have yeah, I mean, you are highly vetted to get into this program because it's about $60,000 per sol per veteran or soldier per month to fund this thing because you, it's, you have to have pretty, pretty bad PTSD and then a severe uh, brain injury with all the overlapping symptoms. And they get in there, you have a whole team. They get in there and peel, peel it back. And even though the symptoms are the same for, for each problem, <laughs> You have to work on them differently. And I'm like, oh, God, that dude, that's a what? I, I remember when I came to terms with the fact that I had PTSD and oh. or I, and I literally I was sitting there. We were at a training in Maryland and I saw a chart and I said, if you have TBI, you're probably dealing with these issues. If you have PTSD, you're probably dealing with these issues. Exactly. I started going down the list. I'm like, where the fuck do I start on both of these? Holy yep. shit. Yeah. Like, and, oh my God. And you can take that a couple fuck? ways. I mean, so you can take that as, oh, finally, there's an answer. Like, it I'm, brought me to tears. I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? Yeah, you could also, yeah, you could also be in that whole, oh, damn. This, I had, this is what I had a doctor tell me one time. And as bad as this going to sound, I, I might have told, wrote this before, as bad as it sounds, it ended up being a very good uh, thing for me to hear. This doctor, this guy was eight, late 80s. Like, he wrote the book on neuroscience. I mean, this dude was had been around. He was like some fellow at, at Vanderbilt. Like, he was up in that hierarchy. It, he had written medical journals, all kind of stuff. And I, I didn't know that until I went in there. I knew I was going to see somebody that was, if he can't help you, nobody can type person. Yeah. Well, I go in there and I've always tried to, I had just like everybody else, how's this dude going to help me? He's never been there. 
that you know that that's ridiculous first off we do that to give ourselves an out to give ourselves a reason not to talk about something um luckily i caught on to that quick in myself and started realizing that some of these people that don't have any experience at all are the best ones to help because they can look at it from a different point of view they're not trying to help what you did on a battlefield they're trying to help you get over a trauma um yeah. which yeah, that can can i tell you that i think yeah. that's a, a miss it, when people go into therapy um it, I, I've noticed that especially vets, they're very anxious and, re and and a lot of them are ready to tell their story. They want to tell their story. However, the story is only part of the issue. The, the that, issue is like it created a trauma. Now the the issue is how do we attack that trauma? And exactly. then rather than the story, that, yeah, that's they, a good point. The, they the, feel the, like they weren't heard because they don't get to get their story out. And they're and, like, well, they the just, story is what led to the trauma. Yeah that's how much that's the role that it plays it has no, nothing to do with healing it has nothing it's not going to help you get better it's not going to help you heal it'll give perspective to somebody it's like well how in the hell did you get blown up with six one five five rounds oh well i was in the army i mean that's where your story comes in that's how you fill in those blanks it but the i was trying to think there's complex trauma there's there's three main types of trauma there's the trauma that is like one major incident you know you, we can come up with a lot of them um whether you see it or it happens to you or whatever the complex stuff is kind of like us just the fact of living on a rustamaya every single day hearing them them yeah i'm gonna tell you right now <laughs> you don't know what to do you never know i never knew laying there how much damage that was doing to me is all the times i had been out with bullets whizzing by my head none of that that didn't affect me the way <laughs> these thinking about these mortar rounds coming in did that well, just, everybody goes back to the rockets i don't know <laughs> it's so weird because it's just one of those random things and i always think i'm going to be that random dude yep. It catches it dying on the shooter it's always yeah. i'm gonna get it's i i said this last episode but like it's rust you live on rust amaya what do we get i mean we got hit over 200 times uh with, with idf and it's like and that's <laughs> it's like i'm gonna go you it's weird man it's it, it, and it'll it'll it affected me going forward too just not not now it don't bother me now yeah. but but I, I had looking back on it, it did it did affect me a lot. And I know Foster thought it got him good just because there's nowhere to run. That's one of the things you can't fight back. You can't really do. I was in the gym when um, when uh, Malone and, Malone and, uh, and OB, OB and those and guys. Alba and yeah, I'm over Marty. there chilling on the treadmill, mm -hmm. just getting it. They're probably 15 foot from me in the over there eating weights and all that. The windows yeah. are spray painted black. I'm right by this window and I'm just running on the treadmill. No business. I'm 250, man. I was only on a treadmill because Kenny Jenkins, he was my workout buddy. He didn't show, he had something to do or something. So I'm like, well, fuck. It's not like I'm going to go play with some sweaty weights everybody else is doing. I just go get on the treadmill. Um, and I did, and within three minutes, a, 
I don't even know how to explain it. Because it took me a while. Yeah, the whole place goes black, but it blew the windows out. Mm-hmm. So what was painted black right next to me is now sunshine. So in the same stride, whoo, I was straight out the window. Like, <laughs> yeah. what the f- Oh, okay. and then I realized what happened. I was like, my God, that was a direct hit. Mm-hmm. And there was a talk or something attached That's to that gym. So it was a direct dead center hit on the, on the gym. It the blew gym, me yeah. away. It was yeah. crazy. And it, it w- wounded a lot of dudes. OB, Malone was all, of course, they were messed up. But I, I jumped back in and we got all them guys at the aid station and, and worked on them. And Poor it, fucking Malone, dude. I don't think I was like, made dude, it through you ain't never going to hit a without earning a purple was, heart. You, you should be able to hit a softball good. This is going to affect that, Malone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that motherfucker. Let's talk about softballs. Well, softball plays a funny part because going back to the, the IED that Foster and us, you know, that we were talking about, um, the one that, that hurt you, the, the way I met you was through the unit softball. You used yeah. to just knock those bastards out the park, dude. Right-handed, left-handed, it, so <laughs> blindfolded. And it's weird as a young person, especially as a young soldier, to see this like strong person. And it's like, oh, fuck, that's Sergeant Lloyd. And it's like, damn, like you see this big, tough person that's like, damn, now he's like defenseless. He's hurt. And I think what the worst part, actually, the, the, the funniest part of that, I think, was when I realized like adrenaline only kicks in so much so you're i was like oh we're just gonna be able to pick him up and it's gonna be like nothing <laughs> so you go to pick you up and it's like oh fuck no, i still have to try still, like, i thought the adrenaline was gonna get me yeah no, like, no. But it's like, i'm no, still, still 250 with about 100 pounds of gear on every day <laughs> yeah. you were my eye opener for that yeah that was uh, each deployment i've pulled a 200 or so pound person out of something and it's like it's fucking it's like god damn you bastard it'll, like, re- it'll make you rethink how you plan Oh, oh well, I thought that was gonna holy shit. This is gonna take us an hour and a half. We just gonna leave Lloyd there and go get a tow rope. <laughs> we'll just drag him behind the truck like a, like he's skiing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in reality, that's what they did to Foster. They had to drag him back to rest of my in his truck. You that's know? the thing. When I heard his, when I heard him talking about that, that's the first time I had heard about it. That's kind of I don't make me that. I, don't make me happy that he had to do that. I mean, he should have been, if nothing else, that glass was so big, I was bleeding out of my eyes and ears. Mm-hmm. Every one of us should have been in that aid station getting MACE exams and getting our, our brains checked. And th- that was still at that time that they weren't in, they, they weren't clued in. I mean, we didn't have, and, I don't like dropping dimes on people. We didn't have a leadership that really gave a damn about listening to somebody else. They they had their, what they thought. Now, um, Hermling wasn't like that. He was a great guy. But I knew there was something to the brain thing, that, that our heads getting rattled. I mean, it it was, it was one of those things. And we talked, it was something that, that me and, and Choi, the medical planner, and those guys talked about all the time. It was like, man, this is going to be something long-term because I played high school and college football and I already have times where, I mean, I get jumbled up just from hitting people. Cause I mean, I remember I used to hit people to where if I didn't black out, I didn't hit them hard enough. What kind of logic is that? 
black hit him so hard, you literally see the little birds flying around your head. That means you did your job. I mean, that, but so I had suffered plenty of um, head shots to the head before anything I dealt with in the military. So the, the stuff just piles on top of itself and it can't be good for you. No. So when I heard, heard Foster talking about how he had to stay out there and do all that with the vehicle, man, had I been out there, I would have told him, Foster, sit down and start doing this. And yeah, but think I about you what you were doing. Just say I'm catching butterflies. Catching butterflies. Yeah, I'm, I'll tell because you you don't need to be doing if nothing else for the psychological part of it. Think that, about what you did though. You had a wounded arm. You, you're bleeding. You, the shit barely works, and you're still working on people. And and people, you basically had to be told, "Hey, lay the fuck down, or you're gonna die." Yeah, but but that's one of those we always think. My big I, if I had a had to say that I had a fear of something. I, I don't necessarily fear things. I use fear um, as a, in a positive way. I don't, I'm, I don't say I'm not scared of anything. I get in situations and I feel fear. I've learned to use it um, to get me through things. But the, it, when I sit and think, I, I, basically what I'm saying is I don't go around being scared of things. I, I feel fear in a moment. It might be something that I never knew I was fearful of, but I'll recognize it in the moment. Um, but the one thing that, that I have a constant fear of is the fear of somebody needing me and me not being ready yeah. or not being capable of taking care of the situation, whether that's putting a bullet in somebody or saving somebody's life one way or the other. Car wreck is something happening around me and I have to bow out because I'm, I'm not prepared or whatever. Um, that's a fear. That's a fear that I live with every day. And I've been that way for a long time. So what happened that day is kind of like, luckily what happened a lot of other days in, in my uh, 17 and a half years in the military was when those times happened, I was, I consciously made a decision to get over that fear and push forward. Um, now, that day, that was a little bit more difficult because yeah. th there were so many things that played into that, that trip that were telling me, do not go on this patrol. Don't do it. Literally. You should never take route corn. But like for, okay. And that was about the fifth thing that happened that was saying no. Ever. I mean, never. I had just got back <laughs> off leave. They pulled me off of an aircraft. Like they were tracking my my journey from Kuwait. He should be and, here in five, ten. Yeah, right. because like, <laughs> he, fuck out of here. General Hassan was only oh, he would only talk God. with me. He would yeah, only I, deal with me. I've heard that um, name in a long time. Yeah, General Holy Hassan. Yeah, but it, but he said this. He said Whoa. he only would he would only deal with me because he knew I wasn't there. So he was just playing games. He was playing his his mafia game. Of and, course. Uh, but when so I got back and apparently they. Uh, I don't know. I never, I, I got a kick out of the guy, but I just never took him seriously at all. Um, yeah. Somebody did because they, I was going on this operation. Well, I get off the aircraft and they're all, I'm like, Oh, my dudes are holding hell on. What's going on? Are they? Hey, no. What? 
come here. Oh, gee. Oh, hell no. I mean, as I got closer, it just all fell into place. And I was like, I'm still carrying bags. Dude. Like, damn, where are we? All right, daddy's got <laughs> you. Come they, on. Mama. Yeah, see, they, had gotten, <laughs> they got me real good on April Fool's Day. First time in my life I ever got. So I was thinking this is something like that. Like, they're trying to get me. They're like, no, seriously. The, they want you upstairs for the patrol brief or whatever. And by the way, here's these new side sappy plates we got to put on. Hey, what? And I was like, Foster, please hook me up with this because all the little webbing and all that stuff, I was like, I'll never get that done. So Foster squared me away and started putting the side plates on my armor. And I went upstairs and sure enough, the, the head shed was up there. They're like, yeah, we got to go do this and this and this. And I'm like, all right, Roger got it. And but in that at that moment, I was back in. I mean, I completely forgotten about leave. I was back. It made sense why I was going and why they needed me to go. So I was on. I was on board. So I get the patrol berth and I get down there. I get in the truck and I'm like, oh shit! I got a brand new truck. I had been hit so many times and ruined so many vehicles. The first one of the first ones that come off the the um, from the from the port of the new ones they gave to me. This thing had eight miles on it just from going on and off ships. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's go on this, this mission. That's all I had to say. <laughs> all you had to say was you got a new truck. So, but I get inside it and I'm like, this is not, but then I realized, I was like, oh no, this, the, with my armor and as big as I am and the, you know, the, F, the Blue Force tracker screen and all that stuff's in my face, I do not fit in that thing good. So yeah. every vehicle I ever had, I had to break the bolt that holds it upright, that holds the seat. Cause you know, it don't recline or anything. It stays mm -hmm. upright and it's got a bolt. So I had, I had to break the bolt in it because I, I literally was like pushed forward, almost nose in the, in the windshield. If I, so I would break the bolt. I had a perfect way of doing it. I break the bolt, push the seat and it lays all the way back down into the back seat. But then I take the dash 10, that big old thick dash 10 green thing yeah. and stuff it and wedge it in there and it sits up perfectly and then when i got my camel back and all my armor when i sit in there i kind of rest just enough it gives me room to do everything perfectly oh, um you just reminded me of how uncomfortable that shit is oh, it's yeah. misery you remember <laughs> like when you're in a rush too and the shit's not fitting right and you're like no i just gotta get the fucking thing <laughs> locked come back always, yeah. <laughs> always with me yes because remember i'm t i'm 250 255 so that means all of my gear is extra large gear yeah. and just reaches out and grabs everything that's around it yeah hold on right there <laughs> let's, let's see if we can rip ourselves off of his body. Um, there ain't nothing like a firefight. Like you get some stupid tick and you like you you break your BFT, and then you gotta be like, shit, Medina, dude, I'm so sorry. You're gonna be up all night fixing my shit, man. This is my bad. <laughs> see, I can't. I was. I managed to carry enough uh, medical stuff, uh, all my combat load and all that, and then enough medical stuff. I, I I figured it was about five dudes worth of stuff. That's a lot of gear. But I, I had kept a bag in the truck too, but that's just a lot of pouches and a lot of stuff on you. Um, and, you know, you can't get through the, ah, oh, he just wants to look cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I do look cool. I ain't just trying to look cool. But, <laughs> I don't do but, this shit on purpose, motherfucker. Yeah, I just take Damn. a little red Sharpie and, and draw a little red cross on the medical things. And um, that just added to the level of cool to me. But, I, w I had everything on so that for, for that reason I, ha I had to break the seat 
and that ended up playing into it. Then we start driving, and I look up, and I'm like, what the fuck? They had swapped. The new vehicle had the red the, – the old vehicles had red-green. Red-green. New system had the Duke. Went to the Duke. Completely different systems. Nobody yeah. briefed me. Nobody told me nothing. All I knew Same is that time. the red-green, when it was actively jamming an IED, it would flash. Yeah. So the only time in my, my up top peripheral, if I would see it flicker, that's time to hold that breath, Jesus. And it didn't happen that often. It would sometimes, but only enough to where I could play it off and be like, ah, it's just it's just making sure I'm paying attention. There ain't no, we didn't we didn't I could I could figure something out to not make me worry about it. Well, this new one, constantly to let you know its own is flickering. Mm -hmm. So the whole time I'm like, there subconscious no way for me to even consciously think about it and not and get it off my. Mind. I'm thinking the whole time I'm like, there's IDs everywhere. They're on. <laughs> they're here. Old Russian minefield in Afghanistan. Hold an ID. <laughs> They're in the hospital. They underneath. They in the trunk. Hembry, you got an IED? Like they're everywhere. That that's you what it makes. Phone calls right now. <laughs> it was a freak show, and I I was I said I've got to figure out a way to, to get that light out of my face. And I think I took a piece of 100 mile an hour tape or something, Dude. which is completely wrong because I knew I was going to be missing something. But I had that thought. I mean, we ain't gonna get blown up this time. I didn't necessarily, I didn't say that or think that. I just figured hopefully the f one time that I have to cover this up until I'm used to it, it don't bite me in the ass. Well, then we get to the gate and this little MP girl walks up with a literally a walkie talkie and is trying to talk. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here, Foster? He's like, well, that's how they test the, the, the system. I said, what? She said, he said, the guy, there's a guy there at the gate talking on his walkie-talkie to her, and if she can't hear him, that means it's You're jamming. You're good to go. You're good to go. I, hold on. This is a multi-million dollar setup. Uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of money. Our lives are included in that. And they're testing it with a walkie-talkie that might just have dead battery low frequency yeah low frequency walkie talkies or you're more than six <laughs> foot away from this walkie talkie you ain't gonna hear his ass anyway so when she don't hear him yeah it's jamming it's good no he just i mean if, if you can't touch him that little motorola is not gonna hear each other wasn't you yours command know. that was yours command uh, that or was yours command that or was it radio uh, the 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 one that hit us that day was command that, so it wouldn't yeah. matter either way. Yeah, of course. Um, but I didn't know it was going to be a command command wire. <laughs> shit, yeah. then that's what they use on route corn is command wire because you got all that shit. You can just run it right it's, under that it, loose and dirt. That's a, that. Thank God that ended up hurting them though and not killing us because yeah. of the way they had to do it. But through all this, I'm thinking. All right, there's a lot of stuff showing itself to me right now, right, written on the walls that I need to say, I'm out. I'm going back. I need sleep. I just got off a bird. I can't do this. There's something, there's signs are pointing at something's going to go wrong. And then I, Henry, out of nowhere, goes, Big money, no whammies. Come on, man. What are you talking? I said, Don't ever say that again. I will rip your throat out. If you ever say that again in my truck, I don't know who was in here playing games about some whammies and big money, 
but I ain't giving nobody big money and I don't want no big whammies. So just shut it up, Hembry. He's like, Roger, Roger got it. And then so we pull out and then that's when we get on the radio and they're like, hey, we're supposed to go down route corn because we got about 10 minutes to get there. Um, we don't but, like you. Yeah. Do y'all want to take corn? <laughs> yeah, we don't like you. You're going yeah, to they, they said, do you want to take corn, Lloyd? And I said, don't. Why would you ask me that? I'll go. I will gladly go anywhere y'all decide to go. I'm not gonna say not do it, but don't don't make me be the one that says yeah, rock and roll. I feel good about this one. How many yeah. people died on I this did, one this month? Because wow. I absolutely did not. Had he asked me that time, I probably would have said absolutely not. We need to be in aircraft right now, or dude, the, back there sleeping. You're the one who brought it up to me. Is that like it, it, as weird as it is? Like this is the only. If this hadn't been a post 9-11 conflict, none of us would all be, none of us would still be here. Like thanks to all the up armor and whatnot, like that's the only reason that any of us three are still talking because we would all be, if this, if we didn't have all the up armor, none of us would still be here. 100%. And that's also a big thing that is um, the reason veterans are in the, the, the state of affairs that they're in nowadays, 22 a day committing suicide. The, the, level of medical expertise that we have in the military the the things that we can do on a battlefield are are mind-blowing on top of the the advances in armor the advances in, in tactics and, and everything it's especially for the way we were doing it with a non-linear battlefield where anybody could have been the one blowing us up so the the threat is 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 different it's 24 hours a day the 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 armor that we have is working even though now the first year our armor was face out because we didn't have no doors <laughs> yeah just let your plate take it that's how we did yeah what? how is that that's the dumbest but but then that that was the way to do it but we are surviving more more now than we have ever survived in history so um there was no way to foretell the psychological effect somebody was going to have or what it was going to do to people that were living through things because until now every the things that we're living through was killing it killing people it was killing them so and they never had to deal with what, so fucking weird dude yeah they ne nobody ever had to deal with the psychological trauma of being in a in a vehicle multiple times that was blown to pieces and and maybe not even been hurt but just been blown to pieces and it still does that damage to your head mm -hmm. so Fuck when they gave us the uh, they gave us these monitors to put on the back of our Kevlar in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah, and I I remember we ran over an anti tank mine and fucking they went to go read it and they're like, oh my god, we finally get to read one and it's like the the fucking impact is so big it just zeroed it out. It, it yeah, was just, it couldn't handle the blast. It was like, oh, yeah, well, that was fucking that. for nothing. That yep. was for absolutely nothing. And now I remember I talking to uh, talking to Sergeant Major Coop. I was like, I said, what do they expect these things to do? Do they understand that like just mine, I was bleeding out of my eyeballs, mm -hmm. out of my ear holes. It, what is this little box? What, you know, what's going to happen to this? This little box is not going to do anything. It's going to, it's going to melt this. It's, it's going to melt the insides of the thing. And that's what happened. That's sad because that would have been something uh, that, which actually, I don't, I, who knows what they would have ended up using that data for. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, if you're hit with an ID, if your vehicle's hit, go in, get a mace exam. It's documented right there. That's that's the level of the blast. I don't know. I mean, 
I guess it can just like trauma in the psychological part, it's going to affect everybody different anyway. So just one of them things. Uh, what was I, I was going to talk? Uh, yeah. Well, you, you were talking, we were talking about going down corn. You're, you're going. Oh down yeah. I was, yeah, I'll go, ahead, let me, I'll go ahead and finish my side. Cause everybody else gave their perspective of it. I'll, I'll finish mine up for this time. Um, when I remember, look, I was looking directly at, we get down corn and it was in an S curve and you, you know, corn's 10 straight, 10 foot straight down. And then the S curve, it's actually a little bit more. Um, I was looking directly out the, just scanning like we do. And I remember the dirt coming up to this day. I still, and it's not, not a bad memory or anything like that. I just remember the dirt coming up. And of course, after that, it was, <sighs> Like everything through. through the truck, and you don't want yeah. to leave. But see, I was sitting back enough because I broke my seat, and they had put so it was so much explosive in there. They buried it a little too deep because they did it on the side of the hill, so they weren't get wouldn't get mm -hmm. seen. That by the time the sh shrapnel got there, the concussion had already blown me back just a little bit towards Hembury and pinned my my chin to my chest. So the the glass pops out because it was right where the door opens, right at my feet almost. So the front side of the window popped out first and come back on me and it nailed me and it fell in my lap. And I, I, what, I the, what got me the most was I remember thinking it's pitch black, it was slow motion, but I was used to that. I played college ball and I mean, football was the same way when I would catch a pass or something like that. It was slow, slow motion, motion like that too. It's like, fucking time it's not, yeah, yeah, it's not just in bad times. It's, it's, your brain does that to help you out a lot. Mm -hmm. But so the slow motion, I was used to it. And, but I, I just remember trying to take a breath and it, the fear hit me I, just instantly. Cause I felt like if you were like, I was being drowned in dirt because, but then I thought if you're, if you're being drowned in water, at least you have a chance. If you can get to the surface, you can grab a breath. If somebody's holding you down or if you just whatever, whatever the case is, if you can just get, there's a chance, there's a hope there. That hope was not there for me because I didn't know how this could have lasted forever. I didn't know how much dirt was there. And it I just mean, keeps, it's, it's like the black doesn't settle. Yes. And like, it's and, a and weird my feeling. Everywhere. I literally couldn't, mm -hmm. even a little bit, I, nothing in, nothing out. It's in my nose. And it, I almost, instantly went into a, like an anxiety attack mm -hmm. but i just stopped i stopped I, I remember looking down i saw a little bit of blood on my arm and i just told myself don't look at it again as long as you can move your hand you can work because you got dudes that are hurt guaranteed i didn't know i just that there had to be you know <laughs> you felt it yeah yeah <laughs> um and i remember i do remember thinking why is the glass in my lap and then i thought oh damn we're in that s curve i was i started doing things to take my mind off of not being able to breathe. So I jumped over and grabbed the emergency brake and pulled it up. I knew, I saw Foster's door open. I, I thought he had been blown out. And I think he was immediately and he got back in. But I reached over and pulled the emergency brake, not realizing the whole front of my vehicle is pretty much gone. Gone. Um, but as I sat back up, I remember thinking, oh, this, this is gonna be bad. And I think I was about to pass out and then boom in the floorboard, just this ball of fire. And I was like, Oh, not the kid. Yep. Time to bounce. I am not burning alive. We, that, that happened a few weeks prior. 
And I had to witness that. And it was, that was not something that I was going to let happen. But my door, this new vehicle had those, those heavy combat locks on it. And I remember mine, even if it wouldn't be, my door was in on me anyway. I was not getting that door open. Um, but I still hadn't come around to the right way of thinking to yet to realize I could just, I could hope, try to get into the back. Well, now the vehicle's on fire. So I'm telling everybody, Foster, you got to get the hell out of here. That, and I didn't, wasn't even sure he could hear me or was in there. Well, out of nowhere, I reached back and tried to get the back door open and Bob, the interpreter, standing there. Like with, me, with wings, like he's glowing. I'm yeah. like, why the f- why, why is it you? Where, I love like, Bob. Yeah, I said, why are you the one here? What's oh, going on? Man. He was like, Lloyd, don't, this ain't, what he say? He's like, this ain't conversation time, Lloyd. Get out of the truck. So I crawled out and then he helped me. I said, go over there and push Henry to me. And, and he did. And he pushed Henry and he said, I don't know where Foster is. Foster's gone. He's walking around lost somewhere, I guess. And I think he was looking for his weapon because it blew his weapon out. Well, I threw Henry over my shoulder and started running up to the lead truck thinking this is one of the dumbest things I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I ain't got no Kevlar. If they blow a secondary one right there, I'm done. And I was like, then I started trying to look bigger than I, I mean, I'm a big guy. I was like, maybe if I look big, like, Ooh, they won't blow it. Or I don't know what I was thinking. I just was like, this is dumb. And I mean, I get there and the 50 cal is laying on the back of a lead truck that had been blown off of our truck. And I was just like, wow, this sucks, man. You take it in. You're like, holy this is a big fuck. Deal. We yeah. just went through I, that. I felt no pain. Holy Everybody gosh. kept asking me, son, Lord, are you okay? And I was like, look, I knew what they were talking about. Cause I remember seeing that one spot of blood, but I had not looked at it since. I just kept telling them, look, man, you do your job. I'll do mine. This is don't, don't worry about me. And then finally, Colonel Hermling, just because of who it was, was like, Sergeant Lloyd, are you all right? And I was like, sir, leave me alone. I'm literally working on a dude and giving you the nine line at the same time. I'm, I'm multitasking. Does that tell you if I'm okay? So call it in. Just, he goes, yeah, but you're on. And I was like, just because I went, oh, shit. I looked, it made me look down. And I was like, oh, my God, I have lost every drop. I have no more blood left. This gone. All the blood in my body is gone. And I pumped it out myself because I'm sure it cauterized when it went through. It went through my arm and into my ribs. And it broke all my ribs. But one piece went in my armpit, through my shoulder joint, and come out of the back of my neck. But it had cauterized. But I, because of, well, if you can move your hand, you can work. I've just pumped, pumped the quad out. And I'm just, yeah, let's bleed all over Baghdad. And I, just, I mean, I've, had kind of did a lot of it to myself, but I, I I was able to get them out of there, so I felt pretty good about it. You f- yeah, dude, you fucking handled yourself like a champ that day. Then you get to see a little bitty young and Moreno fucking here we yeah. go. Hey, hey, Sarge, here we yeah. let's go. Let's go get you out of here. Let's get you in your truck, man. Get you feeling better. Felt, that's the one reason I was calm is because I knew I was really I was close to a lot of dudes, and then I was the type of leader that. I knew how my guys felt about me and I knew that they had probably, there was no telling what they had heard on the radio and they're up there in the treatment waiting on me to come in there. So I just made it, my job was just to relax. So they relax. Um, the last thing I wanted to do was put them in to freak them out. I, I wanted to act like a casualty that 
out the way that I always wanted dudes to act when I was working on them. Hell sometimes yeah. they did, but sometimes they didn't. I mean, and I understood they were losing their damn minds, mm-hmm. but it just, I was calm. And I, until Rook told me, I, I remembered it when he told me just laying in the back on that spine board. And that's when I realized I, I think claustrophobia is a thing for me because my nose is touching the roof. I'm strapped down to the spine board and I'm thinking, I don't know what is making me feel like I'm having a heart attack. If it's my issues or because I'm, I have no blood left, or is it the fact that I got my nose in the roof of this Humvee and I'm strapped to a board and I can't move. I mean, it was, it was, it was something I had to consciously. Ooh, well, that, that, yeah, that, that was the thing. I mean, when, when they loaded you up in the, in my vehicle and you know, we're, we're trying to get you back to, to get you out of there and hopefully get you on a helicopter, get you fixed up. You know, when they loaded you up, you were, you were really, really quiet. And, you know, I, I was a driver then, and, you know, I was one of the new guys to the unit, you know, I'm flying down the road and you weren't really talking that much, you know? And I just remember, you know, OB kind of looked over the shoulder and was like, Hey man, you okay? You know, and you just kind of looked at us because I looked back. (laughs) I was like, I don't, I don't know if this guy's going to make it, man, because I saw your arm. You had lost a lot of blood. You were very pale. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't even know if he's going to respond. And you looked right at us and said, I'm just chilling, man. Just chilling. And I, and I just, and I just, just what it immediately eyes focused back on the road. And I was like, all right, man, this dude's talking to us. You know, we we're, we're pedal to the metal, get him back. And, um, and you know, that, I just that was remember, a completely unconscious way of just that was my personality. That just yeah. I mean, I had led. I led the way I led soldiers. The way I did everything kind of led to it was, that was who I was. I mean, just literally, that's what I'm doing. I'm just chilling. Oh, I'm bleeding out of my eyes and ears, but other than that, I'm just chilling. Dude, yeah, you literally, that, were just like literally. You were just I like. Think, I think I'm gonna have to have a blood transfusion, yeah, <laughs> which ended up happening. I've never seen anybody that calm though that hurt ever yep like that I, much dude and then rook i, I don't mean to cut you off but oh, yeah, like, right. this conversation with you rook has gone the last 15 years wondering what happened to that dude in the back he of the told truck. me that and that broke my heart too well um, i mean I, you know i, I, I don't want something that that's i could have never i would have never known that but that's of that's awesome not. i feel i feel very honored by that honestly well i you know it's I'm doing the same thing now, just chilling. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think, you know, let's be honest here. You know, we, we talk about who you are and, and, you know, uh, the things that you've done and, you know, coming 15 years full circle of not, I didn't know your name. I didn't know your rank because, I mean, your, your uniform was all cut up and I mean, they were just, you know, and I wasn't really paying attention to that anyway, honestly. Um, you know, you just sit there 15 years, you know, I, you were a guy that I loaded up on route corn, never knew if you made it. Um, and you were, a, you were one of those memories that popped up over a cup of coffee every now and then, you know, um, yeah, cause you got hit not too long after that. Yeah. I, yep. Got hit on my birthday, but, uh, now what day was yours? July 22nd, 2006. Yours was a secondary too, wasn't it? I got hit by two. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I say that the first one was a direct hit. The second mm. one was they went off probably about, I don't know, 50 feet from me or something. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it, it peppered the hell out of the truck. But 
But to get back to him, to get back to him, I, I just, you know, to come full circle 15 years later, man, and to put a face and a name to it, and, you know, we're talking about who you are. And, and it's funny now, I can, I, I can honestly kind of smile about this because, because we were talking about this over the phone. And you were like, it takes more than that to kill me, baby. <laughs> and I just, I said, I sadly, I know that because of because of experience. <laughs> no, I I know, but you know, the funny thing is, is that story for 15 years was I never knew if that guy made it, and now the story is that guy was such a badass it didn't kill him. I was just I was just helping give him a cab ride back. That's that's how it was. It was, you know. Man, I have I have thought, what is it going to take? This guy I mean, fraternity, man. He knows. Have, have I been bitten by a vampire at some point? <laughs> <laughs> what is what's what's going on here? But I, I'm honored. I'm glad it's been like that. I like to think that the reason it has something to do with, other than just dumb luck. It's because of the way I prepared myself or prepared my dudes and just happened in whatever scenario. Dumb luck does play into it, and I take that every every chance I get it. Um, but I don't expect dumb luck. I yeah. prepare myself and expect bad things to happen. So I want to be prepared as, as prepared as I can. I treat PTSD and all that stuff the same way. I, it don't, I'm not severely affected by, by certain things now at all, but I don't allow myself to get into that, um, false sense of security to think, well, I'm cured. I'm, I'm over it. You know, I, I treat it like there's always a possibility that I'm going to be somewhere one day and, and it's going to hit me and you know so i want to be prepared for that i'm not going to be Hell caught yeah. but you know with just slipping where, where it completely destroys everything that i've built by that point um and a lot of people don't understand that they think that i mean well you just it seems like you're living like that's a miserable way to live no it's not to prepare i mean it's not like i'm getting up every day writing a dissertation of, of how, how I'm going to defeat PTSD. And it's nothing like that. I just tell myself, look, it's just, there's a chance. Just don't, don't get blinded and complacent. And that's it. And I, you know, I've talked about that kind of stuff before. I think we've even addressed it in, in another episode. You know, I've talked to a lot of different, uh, different guys from different branches, guys and girls from different branches and, and all the things that they've been through. And, we, and, and PTSD really can be, and, you know, talk, talking about it with them, it's, it's almost like walking through the jungle and you know there's a tiger out there. You know there's a tiger out there. And you know that as you're walking your path of the day, that tiger could come out of nowhere and try to get you. Being prepared about it is what helps you stay on your feet when you have to, when you have what, to deal yes, with it. That's exactly right. That's what makes you pack the ninja stars. Yeah, man. <laughs> I love Chinese throwing stars. Come on, tiger. I just start smoking them. We just turned into a 1970s kung fu flick. <laughs> yeah, I love it too, man. I love it. So, yeah, uh, how much time? How much time you got left? All to get, man. I, You're fine. I pushed. I pushed back a little bit. Um, I just. I no, if I'm you got if you got that, something to do, uh, I, we got. We can do this anytime. I'm gonna end up being a co-host anyway. The third, yeah, but, yeah, the third I mean, musketeer. Hop on here. I don't do it by all means. Um. That's one of the, one of the other guys that we uh, that we podcast with Jeff with the other podcast Carol. Um, he went and visited us. He was a rock son, so they came through. Ooh, that's what I was. 
Yeah, dude, they came through Rustamaya for about a month. And then I remember that. The day after they left, the uh, MPs moved in, and the, MP, the, MP, that, the room that Jeff was in got hit by a rocket. Sure. And, and the MP that took over his room died in that. I remember that, yeah. I remember okay. that. Down on the end. I remember that. Yeah, April. And then yeah. I got hit with my IED with Lucky and uh, all those guys the next day, and it's like, fucking break time come on man we need to let's do something here see those rock those rockets man well and you know it was the them workers out there just walking off pacing that that's the only way i can think they hit that gym the way they did they got the gym perfectly the fucking yeah. chow hall every time they get the chow hall yeah well the fucking blimp with red lights on a cord pointing directly to the center of our fob did not help that was no, like I don't, that was literally a fast food arrow saying, "Hey, you know, drive up here. here, you know, park your truck yeah. on Detroit and shoot. Fucking just set the coordinates, let the rockets, and walk away." Yeah, that was that was a weird uh, a, a weird thing to do. Um, they did put that rig dead center. How about dead. diversion, man? Like, do something. A show of fire, which unfortunately, you know, show of force. Like, unfortunately, there's too many people living around there. Just yeah. lobbing mortars into the trash pit. Like, watch this shit, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> Using the landfill as a fu- Oh, man. You know, dude, a couple of years ago, I found the talent too, man. I, I fucking I started drawing my kids and stuff. Shut oh. your mouth. Look at that. Dude, dude that, yeah, I, I can't hold a candle to that, man. Fuck out of here! I just saw your sketches. They're, they're fucking bad. But I, I, I did the same process like three years ago, man. It just fucking hit me. I was like, I gotta start. Like, it was just like, yeah. And it just out of nowhere, there's just fucking the, the drawing got me. That's all. That was perfect. Like the, I'll tell you the one that I'm proud of. I showed you the one of my girlfriend Christy where I put it, where I had them side by side. That because I'm the. If you look at the sketches I did, none of them have faces because. I've never been to a class on drawing. So, and faces is one of those things that it's just intimidating when it comes to pay, anything, any face is intimidating to me because I don't know the stru- I just don't know how to do it. So I, I, I put something in front of it or I make it to where you don't need to see the face. When I did hers, I just love that picture of her. I, and I was like, I'm going to do this. And it, it, I was like, I was pretty impressed because I just had a picture on my iPhone and I did it and, and it turned out pretty good. Um, but I just, I didn't get crazy and start thinking, okay, well, let me start calling some galleries. <laughs> <laughs> of course not, dude. Yeah, no, I was just like, yeah, you did it. You know, that's, that's cool. It made you feel good, but that's about it. I mean, it's, 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 I tell, I've used it and let people know, look, I don't, since when can a tough guy not paint mm-hmm. or, you know, that's what I think about the stigma sometimes. I wonder how much of this, and I think I told Rick about this. I wonder how much of this, that's the PTSD stigma that you hear about so much. I wonder how much is still there and how much is it we're just fabricating in our heads to make it worse because all we try to do is avoid talking about things, avoid certain areas of, of, of trauma that we don't want to deal with, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, we find other ways to cope with what we're going through. Think Normally it's not the right way. Think of our upbringings, dude. We're taught, yeah, yeah. you know, suck at the fuck up. That, you know, like, don't yeah, be soft. Exactly don't show right. weakness. You know, so much of that. So I wonder if, if now the stigma was there for, for a time, but I, but it seems like that catches a lot of, 
gets blamed a lot for it, for people um, not seeking help. And I don't think that's necessarily healthy to, to blame it all on the stigma because I can say that stigma was not, I thought about that, but then I also thought you got dudes under you that you clearly see are hurting. How are you going to get them to help if you're not willing to go? So I made yeah. myself an example. I went to a hospital when I started really getting bad after my first couple of surgeries, I checked into a, to a place in Nashville and did it not behind closed doors in the middle of the night. I, I mean, I, I wanted, I didn't do it on the news, but I wanted, I was okay with anybody knowing, and I wanted my dudes to know, look, man, I'm saying there's stuff in there that I'm not exactly sure how to deal with. You can do the same thing. So, you know, this, this whole thing, you're worried about your chain of command, blah, blah, blah. Just do it. I'm, I'm not. I'm going. So mm -hmm. you feel bad, you need to go. So that is what thing. finally yeah. put pushed me over the edge to go because I was having reservations, but I allowed, I said, this is, this could be something that helps one of your dudes at some point. So that, that got me over the threshold and, and made me go finally check in and see. And it turned out, I, I mean, while I was in there, I didn't do it the right way. I, I, I got yeah. offered a job. I was in there two weeks. Literally when I left, um, they were like, hey, how do you feel about coming back and working for us? And it hit me right then. Not until then. I was good. I was ready to leave. But when she said that, it just immediately come over me. I said, ma'am, do you understand what you just did? You literally out loud just said, you've been here two weeks and avoided dealing with your own problems so well and helped, you helped other people so well, we're going to offer you a job. Meanwhile, I literally have gotten nothing out of this for yeah. me now. And I didn't know it until that moment when she said that I was like, God, I'm good. I'm a good bullshitter. I'm a good bullshitter. Just think, just faking, faking it and acting, making the person I'm talking to think I'm giving them something. Literally, they, I can, they think that, oh, she's really got a, we're, we're at a breakthrough. <laughs> no, you're not. You think we are. You think. <laughs> yeah. Check. Yeah. And, yeah, and man, as a but... medical guy, it, was, it is commonplace in nature for me to want to reach out and help other dudes. But I did it to a fault. And even when I realized that I was doing it to avoid, I still kept doing it. So that was my alcohol in a lot of ways. That was, that was my coping mechanism. And it was not a good one because it completely uh, made everybody think, yeah, I'm getting better. I never told anybody, yeah, I'm fine. I just, I, I packaged it as I'm getting better. You know, every day I learn something new or whatever you are, which I decided to say. Um, of course. And still, after all that, yeah, I mean, I still ended up with a, a Glock 17 resting on the side of my head. So the, not, not speaking up and not getting it out and not trying to deal with it is not the way to go. It just ain't. You were now, some people might go their whole lives without doing it and be okay. It might happen, but that's the, that's the exception and not the rule. I would say. Well, I mean, you're living the be no do. I mean, you, that's how it has to be. Even when you're out of service, especially if you're going to help others, it, you know, it's, 
especially in this line of work, one thing that Ruck and I figured out is if we're not living this and, and learning with this and, and growing the proper way and not, you know, and, and bullshitting the steps as, you know, as you can do through therapy, people are going to sniff it out right away. It's yeah. going to be unauthentic and they're going to know immediately. So, and like, then the, then trust and all kind of stuff that you mm-hmm. don't even think about is gone. Yeah. And it's not even your intention. You're not intentionally doing something to, to wrong. It, it's just, once once of you do something that makes makes it look like impure for whatever it just makes it look wrong mm-hmm. or, or that, that things are not being done for people just look at you differently even if it's not on purpose and that that's what my whole man if i went to the parking lot at 10 30 at night from work i made sure i put my hat on just in case some knucklehead private is walking out to the garbage and sees me across the parking lot he's gonna see me with my hat on it's a lot easier to lead dudes when they want to follow you and you get them to want to follow you by doing the right thing, by, by setting the example and saying, you don't have to listen to me. Just do what I do. I mean, that's, I had plenty of that's, that's a, that's a slippery slope because there's a lot of people out there that do, as I say, not as I do motherfuckers. I hate them. They're yeah. the and, and it, it's there. It's the, you have to start from, you have to build to that. You have to, you have to, you can't just jump in and say, I do everything right. So follow me. It's, it's a train. It's the way that it's the way that you develop and mentor guys. And by the time, you know, breaking your own it, bad you know, habits, it's a ceiling that, you know, you just have to make them want to follow you. And I didn't have a, a rule book. All I knew was how prior leadership that I have was very fortunate. I had great dudes that I, that I followed. I shut up listen and emulate that's what i did so as i mean as a leader i mean you know that what you believe makes or breaks a unit or a team is is leading from the front and always being the example is that that what no matter who you are lead from the front be the example and and don't don't focus so much on trying to get the next position or next rank you have to do that to an extent but so many people are willing to put their foot on somebody's head and just and, and not teach them or train them the right way because they're worried about losing. Dude, I wanted everybody under me, and you can ask them too. There's plenty of Leggett. All these guys will tell you, I've trained everybody to do my job when, and you know, whenever three, four ranks below me. And I want you to do my job and do the job above me. I, I want you to be the best you can be because if I teach you anything else, that ain't saving nobody's lives. That, you know, that why you're not taking anything from me if I teach you to be the best. You know, I'm not worried about you whipping my ass one day, <laughs> coming back and now nah, I'm gonna show you what I learned. Now nah, I will whip you until the day I die, I'm gonna be able to whip all y'all's asses. <laughs> so that ain't it. <laughs> it's like Lucky used to say, You ain't never bigger than your daddy. Is that's right, right. But I, I just wanted, um, and that's where I got off. I didn't wear stuff on my uniform, I didn't when I went in there. I wanted them listening to me, listen what's coming out of my mouth and the way that I'm training you and the, the things that, and when you do it a certain way, they, they, they're watching you all the time. They're mm-hmm. waiting on you to make a mistake a lot of yep. the time. And Most of the time, yep. Yeah, and so it's, it, a leader, being a, in leadership is not an easy task. A lot of people think it's just a paycheck and they take it that way. I just did not do it that way because of the time 
it was in, in the world. And, and I knew that, I'm, dude, I'm fixing to get some guys in that was probably at their senior prom four months ago. And, you know, within less than a year, they're going to be on a battlefield and they're going to be the only dude line. between an entire platoon of guys. They're the lifeline. So I have to teach them to get the, get the, the prom dress out your head and learn how to, how to notice this because you, you don't only have to be a good medic. They have to know and trust you as a good medic because those infantry dudes, those calf scouts, they, they ain't playing games. They, you need to be one of them. So I had a hard task in my mind. And and I took it very seriously. Our medics were stellar. Of I course mean, they were. Fuck it, dude. Like, like all like across the board, man. I not really. I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, between yeah, the, you know, Owen, Dom, fuck it, just yes, Dom, we did have good like, dudes. God, all those guys. Uh, who I, who else? Uh, Rudell, Leggett, Hinderlein, Leggett, Hindi, Lucan. Now Hindi, that we had we had a lot of guys of not that were very smart most of them were very smart and if they weren't they they had other things to fill it in they had other things to fill in the blanks and uh that's where me and sergeant myers were able to use each other a lot he he was a scr- he was a yeller oh yes he was and oh my god and it would drive me nuts if i had to get to a point ever where i raised my voice i figured i, I looked at it as i had done something wrong um but I asked him one time, I was like, dude, don't you ever get tired of hearing yourself scream? My God, shut up. He was like, listen, man, this is the deal. You're 6'3", 250 pounds. You're a college football player. When you walk into a room, you instantaneously have respect from people just because of that. I never thought of it this way. He said, when I walk into a room, especially when I'm behind you, I got nothing. I, I, like, I might as well just be hanging on to your back pocket. So I have to get what you what you kind of carry with you everywhere. The only way for me to get that sometimes is to let them know I'm there. Yep. And that completely made sense to me. I've never yeah. had to describe to me or explain to me that way. And it made sense. I was like, scream away, my, my friend. Scream away. <laughs> and he did. Now, I was the one that was, I, I broke a lot of printers. I had to pay a lot of money to the unit. I stoked printers against the wall. Um, I, I have destroyed just about one, at least one of each of everything that was on our uh, sets kit that I've destroyed. I had no problems for me. Dudes would be walking by like, oops! <laughs> oh, Lloyd's pissed, there was another printer. And then you'd go out and everybody, they're in the flower bed, cutting grass, scissors. I'm like, what What are y'all doing? Oh, we're just staying the hell out of the age. Avoiding your ass, that's what we're doing. Yeah, exactly say right. this or not. I was like, that's, so I, that's all I need to do to get y'all out here cleaning up? <laughs> I picked up all the cigarette butts, all the... My goodness, I need to go get the Sergeant Major to get out here and come look at this place. We'll get an award. <laughs>